guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. Today we are going to be discussing the fan conspiracy theories that assert that Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift, is actually gay or at the very least bisexual and that her latest album is proof of it. Then the city of Seattle goes full social justice, I mean even more so, and targets its white employees for racial sensitivity training. We have our hands on some of the documents used in that training and spoiler they are super duper racist. Before we get into it, though, I do want to ask that if you are enjoying this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us out so, so much. Plus, if you do enjoy podcasts and would maybe want to listen to this show on the go, don't forget that we are available as an audio-only download on Google Play, Spotify, and iTunes. Plus, if you want to go the extra mile to support the show, you can, of course, always head on over to blazetv.com slash Lauren and subscribe using the code Lauren. Not only do you help us keep the lights on over here, but you also get a ton of other great shows to watch. All right. So the other day on Twitter at the Lauren Chen, if you don't follow me yet, I asked you all what type of stories you would like to see in this episode. And not one of you, not a single person said fan conspiracy theories about gay Taylor Swift. And yet here we are discussing fan conspiracy theories about gay Taylor Swift. So as part of the work I do trying to find stories for this show, I read as many left-wing outlets as I possibly can, and I was surprised this week how many of them had articles dedicated to asking whether Taylor Swift is actually gay and what her new album means for this whole debate. So I feel like we are living in an age where just we have to have conversations always about sexuality, and the question needs to be, is something gay, right? We've had an episode we've done about whether SpongeBob is actually gay. There are now rumors out there that Velma from Scooby-Doo is secretly gay. Well, it turns out Taylor Swift is just one of those other icons that might be secretly gay. To start us off, we have this article from Vox titled, From Taylor to Folklore, How Taylor Swift Became a Gay Icon. For those of you who don't keep up with Taylor Swift news, Folklore is the album Taylor Swift recently released, her eighth album, and Taylor refers to the fan theory that Carly Kloss, who is a female model, and Taylor Swift, who are actual best friends, they're secretly a lesbian couple who are hiding it for reasons. So this article says, Sarah Dixon is a queer fan who started to pay more attention to Swift after 2014's breakout, 1989, which had a strong, quote, queer vibe that resonated with her. An underlying theme of this segment is going to be, just so you know, what exactly is a queer vibe? Because to me, queer just meant, oh, um, you know, same-sex attraction. But apparently the queer community has decided that pretty much everything, anything you can think of is actually a, a dog whistle for queerness. It continues, people say that you can find queer subtext anywhere if that's what you're looking for, Dixon said. Yes, it, it does seem like that is the case. She continues, but there's something about Taylor's music. Even though she's the epitome of popular music, she doesn't seem that concerned with what gender roles she takes on in her writing. She's not afraid to have her perspective take the masculine role while still being really soft, which feels very woman-loving woman to me. I find it strange how, and I've said this before, 
These people claim to be all about breaking down gender stereotypes, but anytime someone does do this, uh, for example, maybe Taylor Swift in her songwriting, taking the masculine perspective sometimes, they're perceived to be gay or at the least trans. Like, can't someone just be a gender non-conforming straight person, right? It seems to be that we're enforcing gender stereotypes here instead of breaking them down. The article also says though, throughout 2019, she, referring to Taylor Swift, added activism on behalf of gay rights to her list of showy traits. In June, she released her single, You Need to Calm Down, as a Pride Month anthem for gay rights. The song's accompanying music video was again awash in rainbow colors and featured a litany of queer and trans celebrities from Laverne Cox to Ellen DeGeneres. For this stunt, she was met with heavy criticism from the queer community for appropriating and commodifying the cause. Because these people will never be happy and why some try to please them or pander to them, I just, I will never understand. Uh, but it says, she also drew praise from fans convinced that the song was part of Swift's own gradual, ongoing coming out process. They pointed to what seemed to be coded references to Taylor's bisexuality in the music video for the song, including a scene where she dyed her hair in what appeared to be the colors of the bisexual flag. I often hear that straight people need to be allies and that just because you're not LGBT yourself, that doesn't mean you can't support the cause and the community. Why then the need to paint Taylor as being gay? Can she not just be someone who supports gay rights and wants to be a good ally? Like why, why does she need to be gay? I don't understand. It says barely two months later, Swift ignited more speculation that her advocacy and her sexuality were entwined like two girls in a hot tub. When she posted an Instagram photo of her wearing a proud bracelet using a filter with colors identical to those of the bisexual pride flag. That escapade led to headlines like fans are convinced Taylor Swift just came out as bisexual, which resulted in Swift later clarifying that she didn't consider herself a part of the queer community, though it says she didn't address whether she herself identified as queer. She's not gay, guys. Like, I mean, I love some good fan conspiracy theories as much as the next person, but she's she's just not gay. And that's, that's okay. She can be straight and still advocate for whatever causes she wants and still make good music. I just don't understand the need for the, quote, queer community, it seems, to try to insert queerness into all of these different aspects of pop culture. Like, I think you're, I think you're kind of reaching here. That's okay though, you have your own shows. Steven Universe, I'm pretty sure is one of them from Tumblr. Anyway, the article says, Folklore, again, that's her latest album, is full of witchy lesbian vibes and a lot of outright gay symbolism. What is outright gay symbolism, you might ask? Well, they're gonna tell you. It says, because queerness is traditionally framed as something deviant, as a subversion of social norms, queer subtext in media usually goes hand in hand with some other kind of social subversion. In horror and fantasy, for example, villains and monsters are often metaphors for queerness. Were you aware of this? I was not. We're all learning something today. Vampires are homoerotic. Okay. Werewolves are repressed. That one I can kind of see. And witches are sapphic. So that means like lesbian. I, okay. I, I feel like that's not something I see from at least the fantasy I read. And actually, again, by alleging that witches are sapphic, I feel like you're kind of buying into, surprisingly, the type of rhetoric that seeks to demonize witches and Wiccans. Like, oh, you're just trying to turn everybody gay with your witchcraft. Like, 
what? How is this? How is this real? Folklore doesn't feature any outright witches, but it does have a strong cottagecore vibe, and it's teeming with women behaving badly, a theme perennially tied to witches. All right, so there's nothing outrightly gay. And also, there's nothing outrightly witchy, but there are cottages and, like, forest vibes which relate to witches, that relate to gayness. Therefore, Taylor Swift is gay, folks. Well, that, that just settles it. It says the song Seven is about an intense friendship between Taylor's narrator and a childhood friend who seems to have been an abuse victim. Though she can no longer remember her friend's face, Swift, Swift still longs to protect her. There are no gendered pronouns given for Swift's friend, but between references to the other girl's braids and dolls, the assumption is there. And it says some of the lyrics and I think you should come live with me and we can be pirates, then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. And just like a folk song, our love will be passed on. So here, and we see this a lot in this whole, I guess, queer conversation thing, that strong, intense, same-sex friendships are often perceived to be veiled homosexual relationships, which I think, frankly, cheapens the idea of friendship, right? There is nothing wrong with two people of the same sex being close friends. And actually, I think that's something amazing, something we need to see more of in popular media. And I think it it cheapens the idea of friendship by saying that, oh, if you're too close, you must actually be gay. And we see these LGBT activists do this all the time in popular culture, right? Uh, Supernatural, Supernatural, the TV series. There are so many theories saying that the male leads on that show, the characters are actually gay for each other because they're such close friends. I was recently watching the show Hannibal. I know super late to the party on that one, but in it, Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham have a very close relationship, which so many people are saying is actually homoerotic, but it's like, no, people of the same sex can experience strong feelings of love and affection for each other while still being completely platonic. And it's actually, it's almost homophobic to assume that even, uh, you know, two gay people of the same sex can't just have this platonic friendship between each other. I don't know why LGBT activists themselves would be trying to perpetuate this narrative that, uh oh, you get too close, it's, it's gonna be gay. But anyway, this writer says, even though the characters in Seven seem to be kids, the narrator's adulthood reminiscence is laced with queer symbolism. More queer symbolism. This truly sounds like an ode to a childhood queer girl crush, Dixon told me. In addition to the obvious closet metaphor and the references to a secret love, okay, a secret love doesn't need to be a gay love, what the heck? Swift sings about wanting to escape with her friend to India, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what? And loving her to the moon and to Saturn, Saturn being, according to some astrologers, a trans and lesbian deity in Hindu astrology. Yeah, I don't want to hear anyone on the left say that conspiracy theories are a right-wing staple. Come on, you guys. At first, Russiagate, now gay Taylor Swift. You, you are just as bad as we are. It says, fans have read other coded queer references into the song, all while pointing to the song's overall theme of yearning and idealized love as the most obvious example of all. Okay, there is nothing innately or inherently queer about yearning or idealized love. Like, do do queer people think that straight people do not experience these feelings as well? Because we do. And in fact, I think if you were to look at a category of popular songs, most of them are about 
straight yearning. And I'm not saying that, you know, gay people can't write about that. Of course they can. But it's like to assume that something is queer simply because they talk about a yearning love, I, I think represents a misunderstanding of how heterosexual attraction happens. Uh, next up, because like I said, there's several articles about this. We have this from Vulture. Taylor Swift's Betty is queer canon. I don't make the rules. Betty is another song featured in the album. By the way, if you are a Taylor Swift fan. I listened to the album, or at least most of it. Wasn't really my cup of tea, but I did like the song Betty. That is a good one, in my opinion, at least. It says, Betty, track 14, tells a story from the perspective of James, a teenager, in love with a classmate named Betty. So this song, if you haven't heard of, it's kind of ballad style. It tells the story of these two people, and it's written from the perspective of a guy named James. The first thing you need to know, though, according to this author, is that Taylor Allison Swift is named after one James Taylor. So when she's singing as James, telling a story about James, actually, she's telling a story about herself. See, there's there's layers to these lyrical interpretations. So this is a story about James, i.e. Taylor Swift, and Betty, which is not for nothing, apparently just a very queer name, this is simply a fact. Is Betty queer? I, d I don't know. I'm not, I'm not up with this. So it says, in the first verse, Betty switches homeroom classes and James assumes this is because of her. Betty, one time I was riding on my skateboard when I passed your house, it's like I couldn't breathe, she sings. Okay, so what we're getting here is Betty dipped from their homeroom class because she didn't want to be associated with James. James, who skateboards. Interesting. Apparently, this is important because I, this is more queer- queer subtext. Did you know that skateboarding is queer? Probably not. Which brings us to a chorus full of longing. That achy, anxious feeling when you still love someone and you're not sure it'll be reciprocated, but you feel compelled to give it a chance because if you don't, you might explode. Longing, unrequited love, skateboards, gender bending, rumors, a harmonica, everything about this song screams queer. What a longing not not queer unrequited love did you know that in these people's minds uh straight people because they're straight there's not there's no such thing as unrequited love if you are a straight and you know there's a fellow straight over there of the opposite sex you just you get together that's it there's no no need for yearning or longing because you're both straight and we're in a heteronormative society so there's no problem no need for any of this yearning stuff uh, skateboards very queer, it is known, apparently. Gender bending, okay, questionable whether that applies. Rumors, only the gays have rumors, okay? It is, it is fact, uh, a harmonica. <laughs> okay, so we're just, we're all learning a lot about the queer community here. And then finally, uh, we have this from Bitch Media, a, a, a classic feminist publication that I've enjoyed reading quite a bit. It says, what makes Taylor Swift's folklore queer? Longing. Have you ever longed for anybody? <laughs> well, you might be queer. I, I hate to break it to you, you might be queer. So it says the sense of longing crafted via folklore's lyrics is what builds its bones and what connects queer listeners intrinsically to Swift's work. Longing is, after all, queer. For me and so many people I know, longing is a core theme of our queer experience. Kate Brown, 36, a queer writer and musician, told pop music is very hetero and lots of women are socialized to believe that the only relationship they can have is as rivals for a man's attention. Well, maybe that is because anytime two women are actually just close friends, you lot 
think they're gay. <laughs> so who's to blame here? Is it the patriarchy or do you all maybe just need to calm down a little bit? So today I learned A, maybe Taylor Swift is gay and that B, just longing is queer. It's it's a queer thing. Um, just maybe attraction in general is queer. We're all secretly queer. I, I don't know. Um, you know, to, to wrap this up, I do just want to say, no, I don't believe that Taylor Swift is gay, but I, this is a fun conversation to speculate about. And I can't wait to see next what other thing people are going to have these theories floating around asking whether it's queer or not. I, I'm excited for that next conversation. Uh, next, we have this whole thread that was posted by someone named Christopher Rufo on Twitter, uh, showcasing some of the documents that the city of Seattle is using to unracist its white employees, for lack of a better term. So he starts off with this post. It says, Seattle's Office of Civil Rights has developed a race and social justice curriculum for all 10,000 city employees. So we've heard before about this program, especially in light of the whole BLM thing. That itself is not news, but he continues, I've obtained new documents from the city's segregated whites-only trainings, which induct white employees into the cult of critical race theory. So what we have here is that there's there's mandatory race, race and social justice training, it seems, for all of the employees, but then they've taken the white employees specifically to give them special whites-only training. And, you know, guys, I've said this, nothing screams progressivism more so than racial segregation. Like, if you want to be anti-racist in 2020, what that means is you got to be willing to say, okay, whites over here, this corner, Blacks over here, no mixing, all right? No mixing. It says the training is called internalized racial superiority for white people. I. It's shocking that this is not only happening, but also happening from the Office of Civil Rights. Like, I, I would assume that a civil right would be not being racially segregated and racially profiled, especially not by your own city. What is happening with Seattle? And by the way, if you live in Seattle and you don't approve of this, just keep in mind that your local taxes are going to fund this. Like why anyone who is not a far left progressive even lives in Seattle at this point? I I don't understand. And keep in mind, this is also the place where Chaz, the very short live, lived independent zone was flourishing. And just white people in general, know that this is what progressive progressivism as an ideology thinks of you. So it says, after attendees arrive, they must announce their pronouns, because of course, and tell the trainers when they first became race conscious. In other words, when they began their journey of internalized racism. And note here that it's not if you are race conscious, it's when you became race conscious. I'm guessing that they're supposing if you weren't before, then you are race conscious now, thanks to this training. And we have this screen grab here. It says, well, everyone get settled. Please grab a blank paper, something to write with and introduce yourself with your names, pronouns, and department, how old you were when you first noticed differences based on race. We're getting into horseshoe territory here, right? Like on the one hand, progressivism tells us that race is a social construct. There's no differences in race, but the only differences in race, and we have to acknowledge these or else we're racist, is that black people have it worse and white people are evil. 
So strange, so strange. The next post says, according to the Office of Civil Rights, white employees must process their white feelings of sadness, shame, paralysis, confusion, and denial. Then they must take action to redistribute resources, change who's in power, and alter institutions. If you're a white person and you actually have sadness, shame, paralysis, confusion, denial, or whatever having to do with your race, you need actual mental health, right? Therapy, this type of woke HR training, that's not gonna cut it. Like you have things you need to work through as a person. This is not healthy. And actually making white people feel the shame toward the color of their skin, this, and I mean this completely seriously, this is what breeds white nationalists and genuine white supremacists. If you tell people for long enough that race matters, you are part of your race, you have this racial identity, and tell white people simultaneously that your racial identity is bad, it's evil, you should be ashamed, don't be surprised when this group of white people says, hang on, I don't want to be ashamed of my white identity. I don't feel like my my whiteness is inherently bad. And they start to form, you know, these white nationalist beliefs because, I mean, you're, you're feeding right into it. This is your fault now, like this racial division, exactly because of stuff like this. It says that they need to retrain, learn new behaviors, concepts, uh, missing histories, and ways of seeing that are hidden from us in white supremacy. You need to redistribute resources. They're pretty much saying that if you are a white person, what you have, what you think you've earned, you actually haven't because white supremacy is what has helped you get it. Oh, goodness. Next post says, next, white employees must examine their, quote, relationships with white supremacy, racism, and whiteness. They must explain how their families benefit economically from the system of white supremacy, even as it directly and violently harms black people. This ideology really does see the economy as just this zero, zero sum game. If you've taken economics before, you're familiar with how capitalism actually works. You'll understand that wealth can be created. It can be grown. It is completely possible. And actually what we see happening in an economy for everyone to be doing better, right? Wealth is not a zero sum game necessarily. Well, according to these people, it is. And that's why we see all the time the idea that if you are a white person, not only are you benefiting solely based off the color of your skin, but your benefit actually comes to the harm of a black person. You're exploiting blackness to your benefit. And I, it kind of makes me sick that they bring your family into it as well. So it's not just your yourself that is benefiting from white supremacy, it's your family. And just to me, if I had to sit through this training, I would be so disgusted by that. I would be thinking like, don't you dare talk about how my family is benefiting from racism. You don't know us, you don't know our, our background. They're just making all of these assumptions about people based solely on the color of their skin. And there is a word for that. It's racist. That word gets thrown around a lot, but this genuinely is. In the next two reflections, the trainers ask the white employees how their, quote, white fragility is showing up at work and how their white silence causes harm to black people. All white employees are expected to share examples of their own racism. So part of being anti-racist as a white person now includes admitting your racism. This, I mean, this is a cult, right? This is a cult. You have to confess your sins. There's this original sins. There are sins of omission, i.e. white silence. Like this is forming 
if not already formed into a fully fledged religion for these people. And I mean, if you're in Seattle still, you, you got to get out of there, right? Because this is just going to be continuing to go downhill. It says the Office of Civil Rights then claims that white people internalize the system of white supremacy through the racist values of individualism. Individualism is white supremacy saying that you want to judge people based on their individual merits and characteristics instead of things like their race. You only think that because you're a white supremacist. Intellectualization, also white supremacy. Objectivity, super duper white supremacy. And comfort, comfort is white supremacy. So according to these people, the Office of Civil Rights in Seattle, collectivism, uh, lack of intellectual, intellectualization, um, subjectivity and discomfort, that is the anti-white supremacy. You know what, maybe this is like some sort of 40 chess. They're like creating this idea that everything good is white supremacy. That way, when their communist Marxist regime takes over and everything falls apart and it's all terrible, they can save face by saying, no, no, guys, it's not just that our system is inherently flawed and fails every single time it's been tried. It's actually just that we've gotten rid of all the white supremacy. It's, I mean, I, I think they're playing the long haul here. Violence is also apparently a form of uh, white supremacy. Feeling oneself to be the, quote, true victim, anti-blackness, all right. Paternalism, white supremacy, there we go. Finally, white employees must implicate themselves in the system of white supremacy. They must share, quote, a time in the past two to three months when they caused harm to a person of color. Once they have publicly established their guilt, they have completed the training. And then there's a little graph here that says there are four types of racism, interpersonal, institutional, uh, internalized, and structural. That might actually be the only thing. I mean, I guess that makes sense. There are four types of racism, but I remember back in 2016 when I started making videos and talking about this whole new racial identitarianism that we, we see on the left, I got so many people saying, it's just Tumblr. These are just fringe crazies. Why are you spending time on these loonies? This isn't real life. Well, now, fast forward four years later, what a lot of us knew was going to happen, these people actually have institutional power, right? We see this type of thing going on in HR across across nations, right? In big companies, this is happening in government, right? Seattle government specifically, this is happening in education, we tried to warn you, we tried to warn you, and we were just dismissed as picking low-hanging fruit. Um, well, yeah, now now you have to go to racial sensitivity training and admit you're a racist. It's it's an unfortunate world we live in, but we, we did get ourselves here, right? We are the ones who let these people have power. And look, this isn't this shouldn't even be a right-wing versus a left-wing thing, because like if you are a regular old-school liberal, there's no way you approve of this, right? So like maybe you're not on board with everything the right says, but I think we should at least be able to band together against these types of fringe extremists who aren't sadly that fringe anymore because they're they're destroying things like individualism and objectivity which are apparently white supremacy. But that's pretty much all I have to say for now. And as always, I would love to know what you all think about this. Is Taylor Swift secretly gay or is the queer community just grasping at queer straws? Then the city of Seattle, best city or bestest city? Let me know. But that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.